Welcome to A Journey Through the Message. My name is Robert. And my name is Heidi. And we are so glad that you are here. How's it going today, Heidi? It's going amazing. I'm kind of excited to get into this. I know. And as always, we're going to have the text that we're reading out of down below in the comments. So if you feel like following along in your favorite translation, feel free to do that or just let us do the hard work of reading and we'll take care of that for you. We'll do the best we can. We often try. We do get hung up on some names every once in a while. Oh, man, there's some uh, interesting names with lots of vowels and consonants. And there is. Yeah. We those, do the best we can. Those guys who were in charge of the naming rights, I mean, we should really have a talk with them. Yeah, there's a reason women took over. I mean, why didn't they just stick with good names like Abraham and Moses? I mean... I think the change happened. Women started naming them when we got like James and John and yes. Peter. That's when mom stepped in and said, okay. Enough, and, enough. Yeah, yeah, enough. That's difficult to fit on a barrette or a little bicycle or the little license plate they put on their starter camels. So The starter camel. Yeah, yeah, they had to learn sometime. Well, we're going to get started here. And as always, we're just going to open up with a quick word of prayer and then we'll get going. So Father God, thank you so much for just another beautiful day. Just invade our hearts today. Let your Holy Spirit work through these words and just meet someone exactly where they're at. You know exactly what to do and where someone needs the comfort, where someone needs the hope. But thank you, Lord, for showing up today, and we are just honored to be part of this with you. I ask this all in your holy name, I pray. Amen. Amen and amen. So we're going to be starting here in Matthew, and Heidi will be starting in chapter 6, verse 16 through 24. All right, I'm eager to read this. Skim through, and this actually kind of talks about that life that I want, you know, that minimalist thing that Ooh, we yes. were trying to find a happy medium on. Here we go. When you practice some appetite-denying discipline to better concentrate on God, don't make a production out of it. It might turn you into a small-time celebrity, but it won't make you a saint. If you go into training inwardly, act normal outwardly, Shampoo and comb your hair, brush your teeth, and wash your face. God doesn't require attention-getting devices. He won't overlook what you are doing. He'll reward you well. Don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths and corrupted by rust or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being. Mm. Oh, I like how it says that. All that stuff. Do you want to be here with your stuff or do you have your eyes on what really is amazing? Your eyes are windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and believe, your body fills up with light. I like that. If you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is a musty cellar. If you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you will have. You can't worship two gods at once. Loving one god, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. I'm just contemplating and thinking about that and... I've mentioned to you before how frequently in my college classes lately, they've been talking about this and the effects that 
this Western lifestyle that we've come to think of as being, that's the desired thing. That's what you want. You want that big house in the right neighborhood with the right appearances and just in the context of being Christian and how that can start steering you away from God because we do have it easy in the United States. We do, comparatively. We really, really do. And um, I think we often forget that and it makes it harder to keep your eyes on God when you're not reliant and looking to him mm -hmm. every day for your meal. I mean, open our cupboards and open our refrigerator. We're not worried about right. the next meal. Our ministry just this past year, we went to Africa, just hearing them talk about the conditions there, even in some of the jails and prisons, they were saying they went to one prison and literally the clothes that the guys were wearing were rags, like yes. barely hanging on threads. I mean, just, just tattered and torn. Just covers. Because they don't care. You know, they're right. that society's just really right. thrown, thrown those people away. But you see the Christians that live in those cultures, in those societies, and they put us to shame. Yeah. Their worship and their praise and their joy, it literally puts us to shame and they have nothing. So now I'm gonna be picking up in Acts and we'll be reading Acts chapter nine, verse one through 16, and it's the blinding of Saul. Ooh, this is good. So if you remember, Saul has been on a rampage, just going house to house, arresting people, throwing them in jail, all because of what they believe. Christians. Right, Christians. So he was really making life difficult for people that were part of the Jesus movement at this point. So all this time, Saul was breathing down the necks of the master's disciples, out for the kill. He went to the chief priest and got arrest warrants to take to the meeting places in Damascus, so that if he found anyone there belonging to the way, whether men or women, he could arrest them and bring them to Jerusalem. He set off. When he got to the outskirts of Damascus, he was suddenly dazed by a blinding flash of light. As he fell to the ground, he heard a voice, Saul, Saul, why are you out to get me? He said, who are you, master? I am Jesus, the one that you're hunting down. I want you to get up and enter the city. In the city, you'll be told what to do next. His companions stood there dumbstruck. They could hear the sound, but they couldn't see anyone. While Saul, picking himself up off the ground, found himself stone blind. Mm. They had to take him by the hand and lead him into Damascus. He continued blind for three days. He ate nothing, drank nothing. There was a disciple in Damascus by the name of Ananias. The master spoke to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, master, he answered. Get up and go over to Straight Avenue. Ask at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus. His name is Saul. He's there praying. He has just had a dream in which he saw a man named Ananias enter the house and lay hands on him so that he could see again. Ananias protested, Master, you can't be serious. Everybody is talking about this man and the terrible things that he's been doing. His reign of terror against your people in Jerusalem and now he's shown up here with papers from the chief priests that give him license to do the same to us. 
But the master said, don't argue, go. I have picked him as my personal representative to non-Jews and kings and Jews. And now I'm about to show him what he's in for, the hard suffering that goes with this job. Oh. And that's where we end it. Do you know who he reminds me of? Who? You. Ah. Because when he sets his mind to it, mm. he is gung-ho fully into it. I'm in it. I'm going to persecute Christians. I'm going to be the best persecutor <laughs> of Christians you have ever seen. And then, pow. So there was a little pause in here that I thought was interesting. And this is in relation to right around verse 10 when the transformation is happening there. So it's the least likely to be God's representative. The story of Saul's conversion comes as a sudden and surprising invasion of God's activity in the person whom I think is the enemy, in the individual that I've given up on. This man from whom I expect the worst is the man about whom God said, I have picked him as my personal representative. When we read the passage this way, it's no longer a story about a conversion that happened to someone else a long time ago. It's now a story about what God can do with the person that I think is beyond God's grace. <laughs> look around you and look at the person that you think is least likely to be your ally as you seek to serve God. Look at the person from whom you, with good reason, expect the worst. Now listen to what God may be saying about that person. I have picked him or her as my personal representative. How does that change your view of that person, your words to him or her, your actions towards him or her? What a convicting... If God is going to work a miracle in my life, how can I not believe that he can't work that same miracle in someone else's life? Even Anyone. someone that I detest? Anyone. Someone that I don't agree with? I mean, polar opposite, like polar, polar opposite. And this would be like, in today's terms, let's just say, without getting crazy or political or anything like that, let's just say Putin Oof. had a come to Jesus moment. So instead of persecuting, he now says, I want to turn around and I want to build and I want to love and I want. Right. How would the world accept him? The whole world would be like, what? what? Like, what? you've been persecuting us this whole, like, do I we know. trust you? So I'm certain some of those same feelings were probably happening back in Saul's time. I, I find it interesting that you used him as your example, because I'll share with you. I pray for Putin every day. Mm. And I chose to do that because I have a child serving in the military. And... I felt just a rage and a helplessness as I see events unfolding and deployment coming and what that could mean. And I chose not to feel helpless about it because I can go directly to God. So I found it interesting you chose him mm. and uh, mm -hmm. I actually chose to pray over him because exactly like you said, can you just imagine? Yeah. So now we are going to be rewinding back to the Old Testament? Yes. Absolutely. Heidi's going to be starting out here with Psalm number 15. Yes. Again, if you're following along, we'll have the text down below in the comments. All right. Let's see what David it says this time. 
Psalm 15. God, who gets invited to dinner at your place? How do we get on your guest list? Walk straight, act right, tell the truth. Don't hurt your friend. Don't blame your neighbor. Despise the despicable. Keep your word even when it costs you. Make an honest living. Never take a bribe. You'll never get blacklisted if you live like this. Short, but it's such a simple, basic, here you go. It's all you just just do this. Yeah. Be a good human in the world. Make deposits into your reputation. Wasn't right? that good? Every day we're making some type of a deposit or a withdrawal, I think, from our reputation. Absolutely. It's it's weighed on me that aspect since I started taking classes to go into ministry that the way people feel about me after an interaction directly affects how they may perceive Jesus because mm. I need to be that example and that's a heavy weight i feel a lot but i'm trying we are trying and now i'll bounce back to genesis and we're going to pick up with genesis chapter 34 and 35 just to recap real quick so jacob and his family had just met up with his brother for the first time mm -hmm. they sent all those gifts and they finally got back together now they're in the desert yes jacob has He's been renamed now. He threw out his hip wrestling with God. Oh, yeah. Well, his hip was put out by God. God's right. like, and that didn't go away. He got, he had that limp till the day he died. So here we go. We'll start out in chapter 34. Thanks for following along. One day, Dinah, the daughter Leah had given Jacob, went to visit some of the women in that country. Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, who was chieftain there, saw her and raped her. Then he felt a strong attraction to Dinah, Jacob's daughter, fell in love with her and wooed her. Shechem went to his father, Hamor, get me this girl for my wife. Jacob heard that Shechem had raped his daughter, Dinah, but his sons were out in the fields with the livestock, so he didn't say anything until they got home. Hamor, Shechem's father, went to Jacob to work out marriage arrangements. Mm. Meanwhile, Jacob's sons, on their way back from the fields, heard what had happened. They were outraged, explosive with anger. Shechem's rape of Jacob's daughter was intolerable in Israel and not to be put up with. Oh. Hamor spoke with Jacob and his sons. My son Shechem is head over heels in love with your daughter. Give her to him as his wife. Intermarry with us. Give your daughters to us and we'll give our daughters to you. Live together with us as one family. Settle down among us and make yourselves at home. Prosper among us. Shechem then spoke for himself, addressing Dinah's father and brothers. Please say yes. I'll pay anything. Set the bridal price as high as you will. The sky's the limit. Only give me this girl for my wife. Jacob's sons answered Shechem and his father with cunning. Their sister, after all, had been raped. They said, this is impossible. We could never give our sister to a man who was uncircumcised. Why, we would be disgraced. The only condition on which we can talk business is if all of your men become circumcised like us. Then we will freely exchange daughters in marriage and make ourselves at home among you and become one big happy family. But if this is not an acceptable condition, We'll take our sister and leave. 
That seemed fair enough to Hamor and his son Shechem. Did it seem fair enough to all the other men that they're going to affect? So. I know. They're like, we got to do what? what? The young man was so smitten with Jacob's daughter that he had proceeded to do what had been asked. He was also the most admired son in his father's family. So Hamor and his son Shechem went to the public square and spoke to the town council. These men like us. They are our friends. Let them settle down here and make themselves at home. There's plenty of room in the country for them. And just think, we can even exchange our daughters in marriage. But these men will only accept our invitation to live with us and become one big family on one condition, that all of our males become circumcised just as they themselves are. This is a very good deal for us. These people are very wealthy with great herds of livestock, and we're going to get our hands on it. So let's do what they ask and have them settle down with us. Everyone who was anyone in the city agreed with Hamor and his son Shechem. Every male was circumcised. That is not a pleasant experience when it's done as an adult. I mean, it's not fun for a tiny little wee and baby they didn't boy, have they but, didn't have band-aids. They didn't have well, they didn't exactly probably go to the hospital <laughs> and have things like anesthetic. Do you think this was done in the town meds? square? So three days after the circumcision, while all the men were still very sore, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each with his sword in hand, walked into the city as if they owned the place and murdered every man there. They also killed Hamor and his son Shechem, rescued Dinah from Shechem's house, and left. I didn't know that they had kept her. Yeah, I didn't know oh, that either. Oh, that girl. Oh. So when the rest of Jacob's sons came on the scene of slaughter, they looted the entire city in retaliation for Dinah's rape. Flocks, herds, donkeys, belongings, everything. Whether in the city or in the fields, they took. And then they took all the wives and children captive, ransacked their homes for anything valuable, Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You've made my name repulsive to the people here, these Canaanites and Perizzites. If they decided to gang up on us and attack, as few as we are, we couldn't stand a chance. They would wipe me and my people right off the map. They said no one is going to treat our sister like a whore and get by with it. I have one question. Yeah. Does that mean Jacob was okay with them treating his daughter like a whore? Was he actually going to agree to this? I was a little and surprised And he had by... two sons that are like, absolutely not. Right. Not okay. But Jacob was fine with it. It seems like he was. Oh. Please, if anybody knows if I'm wrong, because I want to be wrong, that a father would not have agreed to this daughter, and it's Leah's daughter, the daughter given to Leah as a gift from God. The unloved wife was finally given this daughter that she loved. And dad's like, ah, just keep her. Thank goodness for her brothers. And on to chapter 35, God spoke to Jacob, go back to Bethel, stay there and build an altar to the God who revealed himself to you when you were running for your life from your brother Esau. Jacob told his family and all of those who lived with him, throw out all of the alien gods which you have, take a good bath and put on clean clothes. We are going to Bethel. I'm going to build an altar there to God who has answered me when I was in trouble and has stuck with me everywhere 
that I've gone since. They turned over to Jacob all of the alien gods that they'd been holding on to, along with their lucky charm earrings. Jacob buried them under the oak tree in Shechem, and then they set out. A paralyzing fear descended on all the surrounding villages so that they were unable to pursue the sons of Jacob. Jacob and his company arrived at Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. He built an altar there and named it El Bethel, God of Bethel, because that's where God revealed himself to him when he was running from his brother. And that's when Rebekah's nurse, Deborah, died. She was buried just below Bethel under the oak tree. It was named Alan Bakuth, Weeping Oak. God revealed himself once again to Jacob after he had come back from Paddan Aram and blessed him. Your name is Jacob, which means heal. That is your name no longer. From now on, your name is Israel, God wrestler. God continued, I am the strong God. Have children, flourish. A nation, a whole company of nations will come from you. Things will come from your loins. The land I gave Abraham and Isaac I now give to you and pass it on to your descendants. And then God was gone, ascended from the place where he had spoken with him. Jacob set up a stone pillar on the spot where God had spoken with him. He poured a drink offering on it and anointed it with oil. Jacob dedicated the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel, meaning God's house. They left Bethel and they were still quite a ways from Ephrath when Rachel went into labor, hard, hard labor. When her labor pains were at the worst, the midwife said to her, Don't be afraid, you have another boy. With her last breath, for she was now dying, she named him Ben-Ani, son of my pain. But his father named him Benjamin, son of good fortune. Rachel died and was buried on the road to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Jacob set up a pillar to mark her grave, and it is still there today, Rachel's gravestone. Israel kept up his way and set up camp at Migdal Eder. While Israel was living in that region, Reuben went and slept with his father's concubine, Bilhah, and Israel heard of what he did. There were twelve sons of Jacob, the sons by Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun. The sons by Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons by Bilhah, Rachel's maid, were Dan and Naphtali. And the sons by Zilpah, Leah's maid, were Gad and Asher. These were Jacob's sons born to him in Paddan Aram. Finally, Jacob made it back home to his father Isaac at Mamre in Kirath Arba, present-day Hebron where Abraham and Isaac had lived. Isaac was now 180 years old. Isaac breathed his last and died, an old man full of years. He was buried with his family by his sons Esau and Jacob. Mm. And that is the end of the Bible reading today. It has been incredibly interesting to, I've always known the story of Jacob and Esau and sure. all of that from when I was little, but to really in-depth get to understand the character of Jacob and just how awful it was. He wasn't a good person. He wasn't. And 
it's okay for me to say that out loud. He was not a good person. He sure. did horrible things to people. He used people. He abused people. He had no value for wives or daughters or other people. It was all about Jacob all the time. And yet God was always trying to curb him. And But he had sons whose behavior, I feel, was better. He left descendants who, it's not okay for what they did to our daughter, our, funny to how, our sister. It's funny how we grow in generations, mm -hmm. right? Just th certain things that were okay back in the 1960s right. are not okay 50 years later, right. 60 years later. Right. And there's times we can be outraged about what has happened. Sure. But be grateful for the, the advancements and the progress. Be thankful it's not 50 years ago. Be yeah. thankful it's here. And then yeah. let's do our part to just continue to do better. And I think that we saw a little bit of that in Jacob's sons. Maybe they watched and learned from what their father yeah. experienced. Because God did visit him and he had <laughs> hard things happen. So, Well, friends, that's the end of the reading today. Thanks again for joining us on this journey through the message. We are so happy to have you along on this ride. And we look forward to catching you for the next episode. Yes, can't wait to come back and do this again. So thanks again, friends, and we will see you next time. Bye.